Uh, well, I'm really glad you're with us this morning. Uh, would you go ahead and take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under your seat. Uh, you can take that with you. That's our gift to you. Or if you just want to borrow it for the day, that's fine too. You can just use it and follow along. If you have a smartphone uh, or, uh, or, or some sort of iPad or whatever, and you want to follow along on there on the Bible app, that's cool too. We'll think you're texting, but don't worry. We silently judge. So anyway, just follow along in John chapter 12. Well, we've actually been walking through uh, uh, this time in Jesus' life in this gospel, in the, in the book of John. And, and it's actually going to continue today as we look at John chapter 12. I, I want us to read this, uh, this passage together in its entirety uh, before we continue with the uh, sermon. So, so just verse 1 through 11, let's follow along there. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of, the, was one of those reclining with him at, ta- at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large, uh, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. Not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we open your word this morning and we talk about um, what John chapter 12, what, what I believe you're, you're trying to speak to us today, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just move freely in this place, that you would speak clearly to us this morning um, and just have your way. It's for your fame that we're here. Um, and so, Lord, just spread your fame even more today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The, the sermon title is Don't Waste Your New Life. Don't Waste Your New Life. You know, we talked last week about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And as we talked about that, I, I remember I told you that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that family was very, very important to Jesus. And I started to ask, why were they so important to Jesus? You think we only see them a few times in the accounts of the Gospels, but when we see them, it's incredibly important. They're, they're incredible, uh, incredibly important moments in the life of Jesus, incredibly important narratives to the life of Jesus. And, and I think, like, why is that? What about them made them so special? Why did God use them like this? Well, I think we can kind of get a clue. All of us are serious about serious people. And, and here's what I mean. Like, we don't, we're, we're not going to waste our time with people who are going to waste our time, right? Like, if you're a teacher in this room, maybe there's been that student who, who you've really spent a lot of time investing in them. Why did you? Because they were serious. They wanted to learn, right? Or parents, when you took your kid uh, uh, driving to learn to drive, why did you take them driving? Why did you keep going with them? Did you have a death wish? No. They were serious about wanting to learn. If they showed they weren't serious, right? If they decided 
decided that, you know what, I'm just going to text while I drive, no big deal, then you don't take them seriously. You don't waste your time. And parents, uh, and, and we see this in a lot of things as we grow up, parents, you have to pick and choose what your kids are really serious about. When they show something they're really serious about, you invest in it. My gosh, if my parents had followed every whim uh, of my mind, I have no idea how much money we would have spent on, like, lion taming and uh, uh, fencing lessons, right? Like, I went from one thing to the next, but my parents didn't take me seriously till I showed that I was serious. And I think we're serious about a lot of things in our, uh, a lot of people in our lives because they show that they're serious. And here's the, here's the thing. Why was Mary, why were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus used so crucially uh, by the Lord Jesus in his life? And here's why. Because God is serious about those who are serious about him. God is serious about those who are serious about him. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, listen to this. Listen to the scripture. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The Lord is seriously scouring the earth looking to bless those who are serious about him. He's very serious. He's bringing a a serious blessing. He wants to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. Those who are serious about him, he's serious about them, right? Isn't that incredible? And we see that through through his gifting of wisdom and knowledge. He gives it to those who are serious about it. Giving himself, Jeremiah 29, 13. You'll seek me and you'll find me when? When you seek me with all of your heart, right? Right? So God is serious about those who are serious about him. And, and I believe Mary and Martha and Lazarus played such a big role in Jesus' earthly ministry because they took him seriously. They encountered Jesus and they took his, man, his message seriously. He offered them a fresh start, a new life, and they took it and they made it count. They were serious about it. And we all get opportunities in life for fresh starts, don't we? Like New Year's, we think is a fresh start. That's why everybody goes out and buys a gym membership, because you'll think Cheetos won't taste as good in 2014. Guess what? They'll always taste good, right? Or uh, you get a new job, and so you start this new job, and you said, I won't, be, I, I won't be known as being the guy who's late all the time, and then, of course, give that a week, right? Or, or you move into a new neighborhood. I'm, gonna be, I'm not going to be the guy who has his Christmas decorations up in March anymore, right? And then here comes April, and guess what? They're still there, right? Uh, when you join a new church, I'm not going to hold any grudges here. What'd she say about me, right? And so we think we have all these opportunities for fresh starts in our lives. And, and when we get these opportunities, they can go one of two ways with a fresh start. We can either make it count or we can blow it, right? We can make it count or we can blow it. And I think about in my own life, uh, a fresh start I got academically was going to college. Now, when I was growing up, uh, my, my, I have a twin brother and I have a sister who's two years younger. Um, and both of them uh, were honor roll students. I was a student. Uh, and so as we were going through high school, I think my parents, uh, they heard that, that Meatloaf song, Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, right? You know what I mean? And uh, so, so they're just chalking it up to the average. What are, what are kids averaging, right? And uh, so anyway, when I got to college, I said, this is it. This is my fresh start academically. I'm, gonna, I'm just going gonna to really just buckle down and do really great. And then no one told me, like, college is super fun, right? Like, there's a lot of stuff to do, and there's a lot of people to meet, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. Did you know you got to go to class, like, every day? That's ridiculous, right? Like, I just did that. So let's just say that fresh start kind of blew it, right? But then after that, I, I went to seminary, and, and I didn't blow it. I really invested my time there, and I really, I really focused and, and studied and spent a lot of time there. And so you have two options with your fresh start. You either make it count, 
or you blow it. And we've all done both. And we've been given the fresh start of a lifetime. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anybody in anyone? Anyone not in anyone? we got to talk. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He's given you a complete fresh start. He's given you a, a new life. In fact, he says everything that you used to be is gone. And, and it's, a, it's, it's as fresh of a start as, as humanly possible. Excuse me, as supernaturally possible. And so let's not waste it. Let's make it count. And, and that's what this family did when they encountered Jesus. They were offered a new life. They were offered this fresh start and they took it. And they took God seriously. And God's given you a new life. And, and I don't know about you, I don't want to waste my new life. I don't want to waste what God has given me. Every moment, and here's the reality, every moment I use for anything other than what honors the Lord in my new life, that's a waste. Anything, any moment I use that's not to honor the Lord is a waste. Check out the scripture. This scripture right here, I think the Lord could use this one verse right here just to, to change some hearts to, today. Listen to this. 1 John two seventeen. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Everything we crave that doesn't please God is a waste. Greed, money will fade. Sex, relationships will fade. Ourselves, man's kingdoms will fade. Power, gone. Wealth, gone. Fame, gone. Renown, gone. It's all a waste if it's not for the Lord. And I don't want to waste this life that God's given me. And I, I don't think you do either because it's too precious. Jesus bled and died for it. Jesus took the wrath of God on himself to give us new life. It's too precious. I don't want to waste it. Anybody with me? I don't want to waste it, right? So, so how do we not waste it? How do, we God, how do we take God seriously about this new life and not waste it? Well, as we look at, at this passage in John chapter 12, he's given us some wonderful examples through these three people, through this family, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And we're just going to look at their examples this morning. We read this, this narrative already um, together, but I, I kind of want to walk back through it and uh, with you real quick, just kind of retell the story. So, so this is six days before the Passover. Jesus is, is, is roughly like a week out from being crucified, and he absolutely knows what's going to happen. And it hasn't been a secret either. He's, he's talked about it. And, and, and so Jesus shows up at Lazarus's place. Okay, so remember Lazarus, the whole, oh, I'm dead. Oh, and Jesus is like, no, you're not. And he brings him back, right? Remember that whole miracle, bringing Lazarus back from the dead? Yeah, that was cool. So, uh, so he goes back to where Lazarus is, and, and so at, at the, the evening meal, this is a big deal, and, and so they decide, you know what, we're going to have a meal in Jesus' honor, right? And, and we know it was probably a nice meal, and uh, uh, probably because of the way they were seated, you see they were reclined at the table, the way they would, they would sit is, is their feet would be away from the table, and they would lean on an elbow, right, up against the table, and, and so we know it was a really um, nice uh, meal there, and Martha took care of the meal, and she served the meal, and, and Mary he takes a, an expensive ointment, right? right? This perfume of pure nard and it anoints Jesus with it. We see uh, this same account is recorded in Mark chapter 14. And we see that she not only anointed his feet, but also anointed his head, which is completely um, uh, understandable because it says she had a pound of it, all right? And so she anointed his head and his feet and she wipes her, her uh, excuse me, wipes his feet with her hair, 
And Judas gets really angry. Judas is uh, the one that's keeping the money. And so he acts like, you know what? I can't believe it. We could, we could use all of this money here that she's wasting on your feet when we could give it to the poor. In reality, he's just saying like, no, I, I, I really had my eyes on this donkey over here I was going to buy. Like, I really need that money. He was trying to steal that money. And so uh, I, I guess the thing, I, I, Jesus then says something to her, something kind of strange. He says, no, this is, this is for my burial. Right, so Jesus is looking forward to his his uh, betrayal, his crucifixion, uh, and his burial, and he says, "No, no, this is this is for my burial. Don't don't you stop her from what she is doing." And, and so I, I want to stop real quick. What is this? What's this nard all about? Right, which is a question I never thought I would say. What is this nard all about? And and it was very very expensive. In Mark chapter fourteen, it says that uh, she broke open an alabaster flask. To get this nard out of it. And so uh, this was something that, that every household might have. It cost a year's wages, right? A year's wages. So in, in modern times, let's say somewhere between thirty and $40,000, right? And they had this in their home, okay? So this alabaster flask, and, and they would keep it uh, usually for the, the burial to, to prepare a body of someone very important in their family. But you see that once they break it, once it's open, it's open. You know what I mean? That alabaster flask, to get it open, there wasn't a nice little latch or No, no, no. She broke it open. And she said, I'm going to use this. I'm giving all of this to you. And I heard someone talk about this recently. And, and, so, and I was thinking, so this was, she was doing this for Jesus' burial. This was this family's alabaster flask. This was probably kept up on a shelf. They knew what it was, right? And they were saying, this, this, is, this is our ointment here. This is going to be used for a, a very special burial Have you guys thought about the fact that Lazarus was at that dinner? Lazarus was just dead, like recently, right? And and so, you know, Lazarus has got to be sitting there, and Mary comes in with this alabaster flask, and he goes, I know what that is. And then she sees him break it and, and use it on Jesus and go, hold up, hang on, what'd you guys use on me? Right? Like, I, what am I, I thought that, I thought we were saving that for someone important in our family. Did you guys, did you put anything, did you throw a flower on me? Like, what in the world? Did you just let me rot? What, what's this all about, right? So Jesus, so, so she takes this really important, uh, expensive ointment that, that they have reserved for something very important in their family, apparently skipped over Lazarus, right? And goes right to Jesus anointing his body. And this was a huge, huge deal. And we see that when the, a large crowd of Jews heard that Jesus was there at Lazarus' house, they showed up. Not just because Jesus was there, but because, hey, Lazarus was dead and now he's alive. And it says that because of Lazarus' life, because he's just sitting there, people are believing um, in Jesus. And this narrative, we see all three family members and we see an example to us even 2,000 years later of how not to waste our new life. So, so let's look at their examples. How not to waste your new life. Number one, work like Martha. Work like Martha. Don't waste your work. Martha surely didn't waste her work. This wasn't always true. Jesus had to redeem her work, just like he has to redeem our work. He had to redeem her work. The first time that we, we see Martha is in Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there, you absolutely can. I'm going to be referencing it for a little bit, but you don't have to. But in Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 42, uh, she invites Jesus into her home, and she gets busy to work, right? She gets busy. I'm going to, I'm going to have a great meal, and, and I'm really going to honor this, this teacher, this, this rabbi that's coming into my home. It's going to be a really great thing. And, 
So Martha's like slaving away, you know, like just really getting everything ready. And she looks around and, and she's going, where is Mary? Right? Like, where is my sister? And, and so she's working really hard. And, and then she figures out, oh, no, no, Mary's sitting out there with the rabbi. You know, she's sitting out there like at his feet, listening to him teach. And I don't know about you if you had chores growing up. Anybody had chores growing up? I really didn't. I, I got to be honest. My, my parents, I don't know if they just foresaw how bad I would be at things, but uh, like they didn't really give me chores. But when I got old enough to mow the lawn, that was our thing. And, and our lawn was, uh, it was a corner lot. And so it was, it was a pretty sizable lawn. And uh, we had a nice little uh, push mower. And um, that's why I'm just such a big strapping young man now. But anyway, we're on this, we, we had this corner lot. And my brother and I would divide it. And we'd say, you do the back this week. I'll do the front this week or vice versa. And um, my brother, I think he was allergic to grass and walking and pushing things. And so anyway, like my brother's strategy was uh, I will wait and I'll put this off so long, uh, and I'll make Dad so mad that either he will do it or he'll make you do it, right? And so there was nothing that made me angrier than, than, having, than having my brother drag his feet like that, right? Because we're in this together, dude, right? Like, we got to get this done. When Dad gets mad, I'm still there, too. There's something called collateral damage, all right? Like, we look alike, okay? You know what I mean? Like, it's, this isn't okay. You're playing with fire here, and you're playing with me. And so I, it just nothing made me angrier. And, and if you shared any chores or responsibilities with your brother's sister and if they ever left you in the lurch you know exactly what I'm talking about and so Martha is feeling this right now and she's going we invite this guy like probably the most important person that's ever going to come into our house and you're over there just hanging out you know and I've got all this work to do and she uh, she does what sisters do she told God on her right so she goes to Jesus and she says Lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me, right? I, uh, I really hope, I don't know if my sister listens to my sermons, probably not. I talked a lot when we grew up, she probably needs the break. But uh, I really hope she doesn't listen to this because this might actually give her uh, some credit for all the time she told on me. You know what I mean? She's like, well, I mean, it's in the Bible, right? So anyway, but so she tells on her sister and she's like saying, tell her to come help me. And the scripture says that Martha was distracted with all of her serving. And Jesus answers her, and in this answer, redeems her work. Here, check it out, verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. He's saying, you're, you're really busy, Martha. You work really hard. That's cool, but you're, you're really anxious and, and you're really troubled and you're really concerned, but you missed the one necessary ingredient, me. My, uh, uh, my wife is um, a wonderful, wonderful wife and a wonderful, wonderful mother. And you know I mean it because she's not even here this morning. I'm saying that. But anyway, she is a wonderful mother, wonderful wife, and um, she will do anything for our family. Um, she'll do things... She'll do things she's not comfortable with. She'll do things that she might not necessarily be good at, like cooking. And so uh, she, don't worry, I called her and I said, can I say this? So she's cool with it. There have been on occasion, multiple times, this is why I'm so happy for that, that mama meal thing, because I know I'll, I'll 
eat for a week. But anyway, so she's done this on multiple occasions. We'll sit down, and we'll, we'll be eating, and just something ain't right. You know what I mean? Like, just something. It, it's not burned. It's cooked. But what is happening, right? And uh, so several different occasions that's, that's happened. And literally, here's what she does. She'll get, a, she'll get a, a recipe, and she'll go, that looks good. And then she'll go, I have most of these things. And then she'll, she'll follow the recipe. And when she gets to some, some ingredient she's missing, um, she'll find something of similar color or texture <laughs> and just throw it in there, right? That is, there have been some gut busters at our house, all right? And here's the deal. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it's not a big deal. You know, I, I don't know. There's some cheese she used in some, like, meal that cheese was whatever, and the cheese was weird and different, and so basically it's separated, and it looked weird, but it tasted okay. But there's sometimes where, you know what? That one ingredient is all that matters. You know what I mean? It is all that matters. Hey, that's great. It's not burned. I'm going to go die now. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes that one ingredient is all that matters. It's that crucial. And Jesus is saying that. To Martha, you worked really hard. That's great. You're doing important stuff. He doesn't belittle her work. He doesn't say what you're doing is important. No, no, no. You're doing important stuff. That's great. But you're missing this one thing. And this one thing is so crucial. It ruins everything else. You're missing me. And so this makes sense, doesn't it? In light of, of what we already read in 1 John 2.17. Remember it says this world's fading away along with everything that people crave, Right? So anything done without the Lord, anything done not for the Lord, it's, it's what? It's worthless. Amen. You work hard? Cool. Is it for the Lord? No, it's worthless. That job is really important, isn't it? Yeah. Do you, do you serve the Lord in it? No, it's worthless. And, and, and can anyone relate to Martha, right? We work really hard. Maybe you work really hard to provide. Maybe you work really hard to gain wealth or make some, someone proud or gain approval or gain some sort of power to, to be good enough or, or to, to make God happy. But we've all been there. But listen carefully to what Jesus says to Martha. You're anxious and you're troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. One thing. And Martha heard Jesus' words loud and clear. And this was a fresh start for Martha. She, she would no longer waste her work. She'd still work hard. Remember, Jesus didn't tell her, stop working. No, no, no. Jesus didn't tell her, stop working. He said, no, you can keep working, but you're missing an ingredient here. You're missing me. And so she still worked hard, but she didn't work hard for the approval of others anymore. She didn't work hard for the praise of people or the gain of power, wealth, or her own renown. But now she worked incredibly hard, and she worked heartily as to the Lord. Look at Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. I, I hope this was written 30 years or so after um, this incident. I, I hope that Martha got to hear this letter um, uh, in, here in Colossians. I hope she got to hear um, this because it's so Martha now, right? Because now every aspect of Martha's work and your work and my work has been 
redeemed, according to Colossians 3. It says whatever you do. And we all serve. We, we all work in some capacity. We all serve an a, a employer. We all serve a family. We serve a neighbor. We, we serve at the church. And, but there are two different categories uh, of service. One is our, our primary uh, service. And primary service is where your specific gifting uh, by the Lord, your spiritual gifts, your talents, your passions, they line up into a particular task, right? And, and it, just, it just fits and it just works, right? I, I think a, a primary uh, service for me um, is, is preaching. And, and there's some people in the nursery who are working right now, and that's their primary service. It just fits. There are people in the choir. It's their primary service. It just fits. Uh, maybe, maybe you're mentoring somebody in your life, and it's just, you just fit. It's a primary service. You love doing it. And some, there's also secondary service. And secondary service is wherever you're needed at the moment. Your preference or desires, they, they aren't a factor in secondary service. Is there a need? Can you fill it? Then you fill it, right? And, and, and Rick Warren said, while you may not be gifted for a particular task, you may be called to do it if no one gifted is, uh, at it is around. So, you know what? There are some people in the nursery today, this is their secondary service, you know? But they do it, right? I had a mentor in college who, he had too many college students that he was caring about and investing in. But you know what? No one else around us was. And so he did it. He did it for us. Your entire career to you might seem secondary, but you do it. And why even bring up secondary and primary? Why even bring up the, the differentiation there? Because you're going to be called to do both. And here's the reality, according to Colossians 3, that you can do both for the Lord. Martha did. Martha's primary service, she served her home well. Man, she took pride in her home. You see that. Like, you see, she, when she encountered Jesus, how did she want to serve him? Come to my home. Let me serve you in my home, right? Anybody like that with Martha? You have something in your life. Maybe it is your home where you know what? This is where I fit. This is where I work really well. And I'm going to work really hard here. I'm going to serve the Lord here. And, and, and isn't it easy to serve the Lord in these, primary, in these primary areas of service, right? It's easier to serve in these primary, right? Because my passions line up here. My talents line up here. I like doing this. And so Martha did it for the Lord. But Martha also was called to secondary service. She, uh, we see an instance, we saw it last week. Her brother died. Who took care of the burial? Martha did. You think that was like her primary service, right? You think that was a, something where her gifts and her talents and her passions all lined up? or what? No, no, she just did it. She had to do it and she did it. And she hated it. But she did it. And the point is, regardless of the work that the Lord has given you to do, whether it fits like a glove or it fits like a vice, you can do it for the Lord, whether you love it or whether you hate it. The context of this passage, in fact, talks about how we serve the people in our lives. Before Colossians 3, at the beginning of Colossians 3, it's talking about how we serve people in our lives. And, and it describes husband and wives. You know what? Serving my wife, I delight in that. I love, to, I love to, to help my wife. I, I love to see her smile. I love to see her relax, you know. I delight in that. But you know, another example it gives us in Colossians 3, it's talking to slaves and their masters. How many, how many slaves delighted in serving their master, right? Here's, here's the point. It doesn't matter what your work is. Primary, secondary, delight or a dread. You can serve the Lord in it. You can work heartily as to the Lord in it. And how do we do that? How do we work heartily for the Lord in whatever we do? Well, number one, remember the Lord sees. Remember the Lord sees. A lot of the time, our amount of effort is equal to the amount of eyes on us. Isn't that true? 
our amount of effort is equal to the amount of eyes on us. Uh, I, when I was in high school, I was in, uh, uh, I loved art. I, I loved my art classes. Um, but I, uh, I, had a, I had a disorder growing up. Uh, some of you might have had it. Um, uh, it's called procrastination-itis. And uh, so, like, if most of our assignments were just turned into our teacher, and she would look at it, and she'd write some number on the back, because you can grade art. Anyway, she would write some number on the back, and she would hand it back to us. No one else would see it. Go straight to her, back to us, you know. And so a lot of those times we get an assignment, and I would go, okay, so this is due tomorrow, and it is 11.30 at night. Uh, I got another half hour before I need to start, you know. And uh, so I just, I didn't put a lot of effort into it. But then uh, when I got into um, our AP art class, uh, we were peer-reviewed. And so not only would you put your art there in front for the teacher to see, your peers saw it too, and they got to comment on it, and they got to, to give you uh, constructive criticism. Well, sometimes constructive, but anyway, it would be out there. And so guess what? I worked really hard on those. And isn't that true? A lot of the time, our, the, the effort of our work equals the amount of eyes on us. And the greater opportunity for praise or scorn, the harder we work. Unfortunately, a lot of the time, I will serve as hard I'll serve the Lord as hard as people will notice. Isn't that true? But here's what, here's what Colossians says. It says, remember, you're serving the Lord Christ. You're always in the king's court. You always have his eye. You always have his ear. Your home life, center stage in front of the Lord. Your friendships, center stage in front of the king. The minutia of your work and service is in the king of kings court. You always has, have his attention. So remember the Lord sees. Secondly, remember the Lord has a purpose. Um, my, uh, my wife, uh, we've, we've known each other now for 12 years. Um, we'll be married eight years this month, actually. Um, and if anyone would like to, you know, just uh, say that you really are proud of us and all this other stuff, uh, Walmart has a 70-inch TV. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but anyway, um, we've been together that long. And in this entire time, I've known her for 12 years, uh, I have never once left her anywhere. Thank you very much. I'm very good. No, I'm serious. I've never left her. I, I've, never, uh, I've never gotten in the car, taken her to dinner, gotten in the car, and just left and gone, I'm forgetting something. Doggy bag, got everything. Oh, Angela, right? I've never forgotten her, ever. But you know what? Every time my wife gets out of the car, every time she gets up to go to the bathroom in a restaurant, you know what she says to me? Every single time she says don't forget me every time every time what is that about right and i've asked her parents too i said did you leave her at disney world or something like what happened like no judgment here all right like no big deal i won't be mad just let me know why she keeps telling me not to leave her and they and they said her whole life she's been like that and and she can't point to an instant neither can they but her whole life she's afraid she's going to get left behind and seriously if you've ever hung out with her and and if you're saying yes I have if if you're a guy what's up with that girls if you've ever hung out with her uh she's probably said the same thing to you and and so if we're honest with ourselves there're plenty of times in our lives where we we're doing our best to please the lord in areas of our lives and and we're and just just like Angela we just sit there and we go like, have you forgotten me? Like, don't forget me down here. Don't forget me in this work. You know, are, are you wasting my life here? 
And, this, and, and we say, this is small. This area of service is small. What's it, I want to do something bigger for you. Lord, you know what I did last month for you? I stacked green beans in a closet. I can do more than this. But listen to this verse, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All the good works that you're doing now for Christ, God prepared before, for you before there was a before. You get that? All the good work that you do, from little to big, however you judge it, has been prepared for you by God before time. You get that? Isn't that absolutely incredible? Before there was a before. So God's working a giant, beautiful purpose through our small and yet very significant work. And you say, how do, how do you know my small work is significant? Because God destined you to do it, according to Ephesians 2. Isn't that phenomenal? You aren't forgotten. You aren't spinning your wheels with good works. God's working a huge purpose through your work. No matter how small you might think it is, no matter how dispensable you might think it is, God says just the opposite. Not dispensable. It's indispensable. And it's not small. I haven't missed it. In fact, I created you to do that. Isn't that phenomenal? We can serve God like that. And Martha didn't waste her work. She worked heartily for the Lord. People may have missed the fact that Martha prepared the meal. Look at that scripture. It's like three words there. Or or two. Martha served. I don't know. Whatever. People might miss that. But you know what? Jesus didn't. And Mary never forgot that. And she served the Lord in everything. Secondly, worship like Mary. Don't waste your worship. We all worship. This morning we worship through singing, preaching of the word. But how do I know you're really worshiping God? I don't. I don't. I don't have like a meter or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like our ushers aren't sitting in the back of the room like she doesn't look very sincere. Right? Like I have no idea. How do you know? Because here's how you know if you're really worshiping God. True worship is costly. True worship is costly. Does your worship of God cost you? There's a scripture that kind of blew my mind this week. Uh, King David, uh, he, he had a, a census. He did a census and, and collected information about the people. And it displeased the Lord. The reason for that at this moment, not that important. But it displeased the Lord. And so the Lord was punishing him, punishing his people for it. And David wanted to build an altar to the Lord to worship the Lord. Check this out in 2 Samuel. We're going to put it up on the screen. 2 Samuel. Arana said... Why is my Lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Arana said to David, let my Lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering. Here's threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. O king, Arana gives all this to the king. Arana also said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied, listen to this. Listen to what David said. No, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. This hit me right between the eyes. Is my worship cheap? Is it, is, am I giving the Lord my expendable time on Sundays, my, my expendable income, my expendable affection that I can spare to Him? Is my worship costly or not? Because the life of a worshiper doesn't come cheap. It costs them their time, their affection, their resources. Mary, did, Mary didn't waste her worship. Look at, what, look, at, look at her life. It cost her her resources. Nard, a year's wages. A year's wages. But Jesus was the priority. Has the worship of Jesus caused, uh, caused you to spend differently? Has it caused you to give differently? 
Have you broken something irreplaceable at his feet like Mary did? I had to start asking myself these questions. Would I give, sure I'd give the $20 in my pocket to missions because a missionary standing right in front of me, but, but will I pay my brother's MLG and W bill? Right? Would, would I rather have faster and more expensive internet at home? The answer is usually always yes, than be generous to people. Is my worship costing me? It costs her her time. When we first see Mary, she's sitting at Jesus' feet. She isn't helping Martha. She could be, and that's good work. What she's doing is good work, serving the Lord in that way. But, but here's what Mary says. Mary says, I could have been busy with these other things, these worthy things. But, and maybe you are too, just like her. Maybe with your family, your job, your friends, your church work. But out of Mary's worship, she prioritized her time to show Jesus that he was most valuable to her. Ever feel like you never have enough time in the day? Anybody? Um, Angela, my, uh, she's out of town this weekend. So I've got um, the monsters. And uh, last night, my mom uh, uh, came and took uh, the twins away from me. Um, and I say it like that because she was like, you can't do this, right? And so anyway, she took them. And so me and Max are spending time together, my three-year-old, and we're having a good time. And, um, and like we go, you know, like we're playing with his cars and, and we're eating things that mommy wouldn't approve of. And so anyway, we're having a good time. And I look down and I realize, oh my gosh, Max goes to bed about 8, 8.30, it's 9 o'clock. And so we're sitting down there and I said, Max, it's way past your bedtime. And Max gets super panicked, like, like it hit him too. And he says, we got to get upstairs, we got to take a bath, read three books and go to bed or mommy's going to be mad. <laughs> and so like time just got away from us. We just are having a good time and, and all of a sudden time just got away from us, right? But and, and this is something my, my brother-in-law taught me. I, I give the Lord credit through him. He, he no longer says, I don't have time for that, right? He no longer says, ain't nobody got time for that. Here's what he says. I won't make time for that. I won't prioritize my time for that. Because the reality is, we all have the same amount of time. And we aren't victims of time. We control our own time. We control how we use our time. And how do we prioritize it? What Mary did sitting at the feet of Jesus wasn't to make more time in the day. It wasn't magic. She just submitted her time at the feet of Jesus. She said, you're most important. No matter if I don't get anything else done today, I'm going to spend time with you. That's worship. It cost her, in reality, everything. Look at what she did. She washed his feet. Feet are gross. Anybody with me? Feet are gross, right? Sometimes I just wish we didn't have them, right? You know what I mean? Flippers would be cool. I don't know. But, like, feet are gross, even more back then, you know, they're walking around, uh, they're walking around in, in, in dirt and nastiness and mud and just all kinds of other things I won't say, right? And, and they sat, they sat that, that weird way at the table. Why? Keep their feet away from the table. I don't even want my feet on the table. They smell that bad, right? They, we got to get them away from the table. Feet are gross, but Mary washes his feet. And not only washes his feet, but then uses her hair to wipe his feet. At the feet of Jesus, she laid down everything. Her vanity, her pride, her ego, her reputation, her identity. Everything she is was at his feet. And I, asked, I had to ask myself this. In my new life, does my worship of God cost me my vanity? Does it cost me my pride? Does it cost me my reputation? Or are there lines I'm not willing to cross to please God? Would I sit at a table with Jesus gladly? But would I wash his feet? Would I sing a song about Jesus gladly? but not tell a neighbor about him? 
Would I listen to a sermon about forgiveness gladly, but then refuse it to someone? Would I worship God only until it hurt? You know, she laid everything down. Mary's worship was costly. She didn't waste it. So work like Martha, worship like Mary, and lastly, live like Lazarus. Don't waste your witness. We are all walking billboards. We're all telling the world something through our lives. You know, some, some, of you, or some people might be telling, you know, wealth is king. What you have matters the most. And some, I, we just spent the weekend last weekend with some middle schoolers and high schoolers. And some of those middle schoolers want to tell the world uh, that showers are optional. You know what I mean? And so, like, we're telling something with our lives. What you're, what's most important to you? And here's the reality. As believers, you're communicating something about God with your lives. Lazarus was walking around, and he was a billboard for the power of God. Look at verse 10. The chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death. Why? Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in him. We influence the world's view of God positively or negatively. We, we aren't neutral. How the world sees God, how our neighbors see God, we're influencing that every single day. Nietzsche said, I'll believe in the redeeming God when I see him in the redeemed, right? We're influencing the world. Some might say, man, okay, yeah, cool. If I had Lazarus' story, absolutely I'd I'd be influencing some people. Absolutely I'd be living out loud for Jesus. But here's the reality. You do have Lazarus' story. The Bible says in your sin, you were dead and he made you alive. Our lives are our billboards for God's awesome work, just like Lazarus's was. What God is doing in your life is astounding. Listen to the fruit of the Spirit. This is what God's doing in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah, that's natural. We see that everywhere. No, that's supernatural. That's incredible. Look at the love that, that God is, is teaching you to love with. It's kind, it's patient, it's humble, it's considerate, it's persevering, it's enduring. That's not, that's not common in our culture. That's remarkable, right? Our lives can be like Lazarus's, walking billboards to the awesome power of our God. The enemies of the Gospels, they may hate our words. In fact, they might have carefully crafted arguments to, to, to come against our words about Jesus. But we can be like Lazarus. It didn't say that they came against Lazarus because Lazarus had a really great argument. It says they came against Lazarus because on account of him, period, on account of him, people believed. We can live like Lazarus. So you know what? We can be, we can be walking evidence of God's work through our love for one another, through, through our love for others, through our integrity, our humility, our work ethics, our generosity. Jesus tells us this and, and tells us it's going to work. Look in Matthew 5, 16. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So don't waste your new life. Don't waste your work. Don't waste your worship. Don't waste your witness. Remember that scripture in 1 John 2, 17, that this world's fading away along with everything that people crave, everything that people care about. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So as we close, I'm going to ask whoever's doing the music, come on up, and, and we're going to close with a, a quick chorus. But um, for some in this room, you say, yeah, I've, I've, wasted, I've wasted my life too. But the reality is, like, you don't have a new life yet. Like, Jesus is waiting to give you a new life. 
And so if you've never followed Jesus, if you've never said, I don't want this anymore, I don't want my old life, I don't want to just live for myself anymore. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. Jesus, I believe that you're the only way I can come to God. And so I'm coming to you and I'm asking for your forgiveness and I'm asking for a new life. If you've never done that today, if you've never done that, you've never surrendered your life, laid it at the feet of Jesus, let him forgive you, let him give you a new life. You can today. Seriously, God wants to give you a new life today. A new life. All you have to do is tell him what I just said. Tell him what you want to tell him. That you know what? I'm sorry for what I've done. Tell him right now in your heart. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to be weird. You don't have to say it out loud. Just say it right now in in the quietness of your own heart. Just tell God right now, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to follow you. I want a new life. Please forgive me. Make me yours. If you express that to the Lord this morning, the scripture says that you're forgiven. And it says that he's removed your sin. He's removed who you used to be as far as the east is from the west. And you say, no, I, I just walked in like that didn't happen. I walked in like this. Yeah, yeah, you walked in like that. The scripture said you walked in dead. The scripture say now you walk out alive. All of that, gone. Gone. You're now his forever. Don't waste your new life. As we sing, I'm going to ask you if, if that was you. You come forward. I'll be right here. Brother John will be right here. You come forward. We, I want to I wanna just rejoice with you. Brother John wants to rejoice. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't imagine how excited this room will be if you come forward. That's what we, we want to show you what's next. You don't want to waste your new life. You want to enjoy it to the fullest. Come forward. Let's talk about it. I want to pray with you. I want to show you what's next. Christians in this room, my brothers and sisters, I mean, some of you say, I've, I've wasted my new life. I, I wasted yesterday. I'm just looking at yesterday. I wasted yesterday. Here's the good news. Scriptures say that his mercies are new every morning. Okay, maybe you wasted yesterday. You don't have to waste today. And let's say there's an area of your life, you, you mess up today. Tomorrow, when the sun comes up, here's your prayer. You want me to give you your prayer for tomorrow? Here's your prayer. The sun comes up. God, you did it again. Your mercies are new again. Help me not to waste my day. Help me make it count for you. So Christians, I don't know how you need to respond as we sing. Maybe you need to sing the loudest you've ever sung before. Maybe you need to kneel where you are. Maybe you need to come forward and pray. I don't know. But you do whatever the Lord's calling you to do. And don't waste this time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we enter this time, do what you want to do. Accomplish what you want to accomplish. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.